Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning to all of our campuses, wherever you may be joining us from online as well. Um, one thing I want to do is I want to share a little bit of news with you, particularly for those here in the South Hills. As you saw, Kirk did not lead us in, in worship this morning. I have a little good news to share with you. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Kirk's 10-year anniversary with us. Remember that? And, um, and, and think about that. That's 520 weeks of planning and praying and executing on worship services. Very demanding spiritually, physically, emotionally. And as a leadership team, we've decided to give Kirk a little bit of time off from leading us in worship. And we can do that because we have a tremendous worship team that's going to lead us for the next several weeks or months. And Kirk is going to have an opportunity to invest in himself. To, to learn and visit other churches, to see how they lead worship, how do they pick songs, how do they recruit and retain teams. And he's going to have a tremendous opportunity to just to fill himself up vocationally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. So I'm going to ask you guys to do is just to pray with us. We'll pray for Kirk and Missy and the kids over these next couple weeks and months as they kind of recharge and getting ready for the next 10 years. Amen? Amen. Good. Yes. All right, well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series, Games People Play. And through this series, we have looked at a, a series of board games, if you will. We're going to tackle a video game next week. And we're looking at these, the way that we play these games, the rules, the, the strategies, the way we interact with the characters that we play with. And we're seeing how these interactions and things can bleed into our personal lives and can affect our relationships with others as well as our relationship with God. Uh, we tackled the game Jenga, the tower building game, and we saw through the story of the Babylonians the dangers of stacking our accomplishments up, right? Building a tower in our own names and learned that, that, that all of our work and our effort and our success should be done not in our name but in the Lord's name. We also saw through the game of chess that each one of us, through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers in Jesus Christ, that we have a unique set of gifts that God has entrusted to us to serve Him in all aspects of our life, in school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, and then certainly here within the church. And I challenged you that, um, that if you weren't plugged in and you weren't serving, is to find a place to serve. I gave you 30 days to do that. Well, guess what? You got 14 days left. Right? But I'm happy to say that more than 200 people have gone online on our homepage and looked on how to find out what their spiritual gifts were and to find a place of service. And this is a great time of year to get involved as we kick off all of our ministry program throughout all of our campuses. Now listen, you guys can't all go to DeBerry, right? Because I know winter's coming. Some of you have got to stay around here, all right? So you're looking for those serving opportunities on site. Last week, um, yeah, Dave DiDonato was here, and Zeb, and, and uh, DJ, and DeBerry wrestled with the game Battleship, right? Talking about the, the power of the tongue, and how dangerous gossip can be, and how it can sink our relationships. Oh, man. <laughs> Thankfully, this sermon series is coming to an end, and you guys don't have to listen to any, any more of that. Well, today, we're going to wrestle with hungry, hungry hippos, and then next week, 
Um, we're going to look at a video game called Fortnite. Um, 125 million users worldwide. It's a phenomenon that's going on. And we're inviting at all of our campuses, all of our youth from fifth grade and up to come into the worship service. And parents, I'm challenging you, don't let your son or daughter come without a friend. We're going to have some fun with it. But here's what's most important. They are going to hear about the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. You're not going to want to miss that opportunity to expose your, your children and their friends, particularly unsaved friends, to that message. So I really ask you to invite them next week. All right, so I got I to gotta settle a score from last week. So Dave DiDonato was here, right? And I heard that Dave DiDonato said that I took the easy way out. I took the two easy weeks because I was able to pick the two games that I had life-size pieces up on stage. And he said he wasn't mad about this. And he left you with pictures on a screen. Hi, Dave. I heard that in Washington, they did a human-sized battleship with 35 volunteers. And they pulled it off successfully. So, Zeb, thanks for setting the bar. So today, we're going to have human-sized hungry, hungry hippo to remind you of how to play the game. So this is our youth team. Where are you guys at? I know you're there. Don't leave me stranded. Hello? <laughs> Emily, come on. you got to be a little bit speedier than that. So here, let's give them a hand as they come out. And they're going to remind us, right, of the, of the strategies, if there is much of one, in the game of Hungry Hungry Hippos. All right, let's hear it for these guys. <laughs> so Dave, next time, you have to have more than just pictures on the screen. All right, let me get us back on track. Let's bow our heads and ask God to lead us this morning. Dear Father, we do thank you that even through the lens of what we see in this world, that we can see your truth. Father Paul, when he wrote, he looked at the surroundings and used those things to relate to the people that he was teaching to. So Father, our desire today is that you do the same, that you use this game and that you use your word, most importantly, to open our eyes and to change our hearts. Father, our desire is to hear what you have to say this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So as you see in the game, which is scattered everywhere, the whole process of Hungry Hungry Hippos is more and more and more, faster and faster and faster. Grab as many balls as you can before the other people get it. Bring it to yourself. And the one at the end of the game with the most balls wins. Not very sophisticated. 
but I think it's a real deal issue that we deal with society today. More, 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 bigger, better, faster, hurry. Someone may get it before I do. More, more, more. This is what society tells us. This is what commercials on television tell us. And worse yet, this is what we tell ourselves. Is we need more. And I chose this today because we're going to deal with the issue of more. We're going to deal with the sin issue of greed in our lives. And the reason I want to do this this morning is because I think greed is one of the most difficult sins to detect in our lives. Okay, so that's what we're going to wrestle with today. So let's start our time together by defining what greed is, because I think this is one of the reasons that we have such a hard time identifying it in our lives. So the first definition that we're going to see is greed is excessive or reprehensible acquisitiveness. Now, since it's taken me all week long to pronounce that word, I'm going to say that definition again. Greed is excessive or reprehensible acquisitiveness, right? Acquire, acquire, acquire. Greed is marked by an inordinate desire for wealth or for possessions. It's harsh, isn't it? So if I was to ask for a show of hands right now, how many of you would say you're greedy? How many of you would say, I'm excessive, I'm reprehensible, and I have an inordinate amount of desire? Let me see hands. Not 15 of you, right? <laughs> see, I'm not reprehensible. My desires aren't inordinate. I just want a little bit more. I, I, just a little bit more than I have right now. Okay, maybe after that, just a little bit more. And see, that's what greed is. Greed is this, this insatiable desire for what we don't have. Or put another way, it's dissatisfaction with what we do have. Regardless of how much or how little that is. See, we look at what our potential is, which is this basket. And we say, you know, if I had just a little bit more, I could get rid of that old beat up car that I have and get something that doesn't break down and I can get to work without a problem. If I just got a little bit more, I can get rid of this old iPhone with my parents with a cracked screen and get the new one. If I had just a little bit more, I could get out of this apartment and get into a home. If I had a little bit more, I could just get out of this neighborhood and get into a better one in a better school district. If I just had a little bit more, 
I can go to Hilton Head instead of the campground. <laughs> I like Hilton Head. If I get a little bit more, maybe I could retire and not have to work. See, it's this desire for more than what I have. And the problem is, we'll never be satisfied with more Because that issue is, we'll never be satisfied with stuff, period. And that's what we want to turn to God's word and to see how he teaches us that. So take your Bibles and we're going to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 13. And as you do that, just let me set the scene a little bit. Jesus is in the middle of, of teaching. There's a couple thousand people that are gathered. And there's people like trampling on each other. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, and someone interrupts him in the middle of all that. And that's what we see in chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it was common in that day for a, a, a family situation or a family dispute to, to take this issue um, to a rabbi and help them work through it. So apparently you've got some brothers here, the parents have died, and they're squabbling over the inheritance, right? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years, has it? Nothing's changed. So how does Jesus respond to this. Look at verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, when I find what's going on here is really, really interesting because Jesus decides not to get involved in this family issue, right? This conflict or this legal thing going on. He could have said, bring the brother over here, let me hear both sides, made an opinion, and sent them on their way. But he didn't choose to do that. See, instead, he knew that the arguing over the inheritance was a surface issue. He knew there was something deeper, and it was an issue with the heart. Let's look at verse 15. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So some translations here, this says take care. Some translations say watch out. He's warning them. And how many times do you think Jesus says this throughout Scripture? Not very many. So he's looking at these guys saying, you better watch out. You are heading down the wrong path. You are on the slippery slope. I sense an issue with, with covetousness. 
I sense an issue with greed lurking underneath here. You think that your life is about the things that you have, and that is a mistake. Take care. Watch out, Jesus warns them. And to drive home this point, he tells them a parable, and we see that in, in 16 through 21. Let me read this whole thing for you, and then we're going to go back through, and we're going to see what it says to us and how we can apply it to our lives. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. All right, so what I want to do is we're going to go back through this. And what we're going to see here is this farmer, this guy in the story, makes three very big mistakes. Three significant mistakes in his life. And so we do this for the purpose of identifying are we making the same mistakes in our lives? And we're going to start by looking at verses 17 and 18. And what we're going to see here is how many times this farmer uses two very, very dangerous words, I and my. And as I read this, I'm going to emphasize those to make my, to make my point. Let me get rid of this thing that's up here. All right, is it coming back? Come on, baby. All right, let me do it <clears throat> this way. All right, it says, And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. You think this guy's a little narcissistic? It seems if he believes the whole world revolves around him. He's God, right? He's got this all figured out. Think about it. My crops. Really? You're the one that created the little seed and wired it to grow out of the soil? That was you? <laughs> I didn't know. 
it was you that created the rain and made it fall on the crops for the crop, the seed for the seed to grow into a crop? That was you? That was you that gave you life and a heartbeat to get out of bed to go out in the field to harvest the crop? That was you? That was you who gave you the intelligence to even know what to do when the crop came out of the ground? My, my, my. He's got it all figured out. It's all about him. How about us? Now, we may not have grain or crops. Some of you do. Most of us don't. But what about my money? What about my investments? What about my retirement? Really? Who is it that gave you the intelligence to hold a job that you can even earn one penny to put in any of those accounts? Who was it that has blessed you so generously and mercifully beyond more than what we deserve? Was that you? Or was that God? See, everything that we have, everything that we have is from him and for him. And that's the first mistake that he makes is he thinks that everything is about him, that he is in control. So where are you with understanding is everything yours? It's mine and I hold it tight-fisted, deciding what I want to do with it? Or do we hold it loose-handed and say, God, you take it, it's yours. Help me use it in a way that honors you and brings glory to you. Okay, mistake number one. Mistake number two and three we actually see in verse 19. It said, I will say to my soul. What is he saying here? I will say to what? Myself. I don't know about you guys. But with my sinfulness, I can talk myself into nearly anything. <laughs> is my own counsel. He's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. See, he's convinced himself that he has everything that he needs to eat drink and be merry for the foreseeable future. 
everything that he lists here is what? It's about his body. It's about temporal, right? His belly will be full. You have enough? Well, we're more than just a body, aren't we? We have a soul. Where's his worry about his eternity? Where's his worry about his soul? I've shared in here before that, that, that I'm a runner. I love to run. But I've never liked working out, lifting weights. And when I lived in Atlanta, I had these coworkers that coerced me into working out with them in the morning. Well, I wasn't going to give up running, so I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to drive to LA Fitness so I could run my five or six miles around the building to meet them at 5.45 to work out. My whole run was ruined knowing what I was going to be doing for the next hour. You get in there, and it's all this grunting and groaning and lifting this and pulling that. You know, and I looked at them, and I looked at everyone else in that gym, and you know what I noticed? Not a single person smiled. No one in the whole place. They're looking in the mirror, their arms and their legs and all this attention to all this stuff. And I couldn't help but wonder, are you as worried and take as good of a care of your soul as you do your arms and your back and your legs? There's a couple times I wanted to go up and ask them that question. But given my size, <laughs> I opted not to because I thought I'd get punched in the noggin. Right, how about you healthy eaters? Now, I'm going to tread lightly here because I'm married to one. So, Lord, help me do this right. Right? All this effort you put in and you, you go to the restaurant and you painfully go over the menu looking for all the little GF symbols and the asterisks and and you order the $29 kale salad with Brussels sprouts and chickpeas, and, or you're at home and you, you're, you're looking at eating plans and recipes, and you got to go to Whole Foods for that and Trader Joe's for this, and you come home and you make it, the family sits down, you take a bite, and what happens? It's the same as the gym, no one's smiling. See, I joke, right? And it's important to take care of our body. It's important to exercise. But you know what's more important? is the care of our soul. See, God's word is the nutrients that we need to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. It's easier to lift than a dumbbell, and it tastes better than kale. But that's what keeps us alive in our relationship with him. We got to care more than just for our body. We got to care for our soul. And that's the second mistake that this farmer makes. The third mistake that he makes is also found in his verse. And we see here, these ample goods laid up for what? Many years. But he said that to himself. So he has himself convinced 
that he has enough stuff finally that he is going to enjoy many years. Well, guess what? He's not the one that determines many years, is he? Who is? God. God determines how many days will walk this earth, and he's soon to find that out. Look at verse 20 through 21. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. This is death. The Greek word here is the same word for, for, for um, when a loan is due, that it's matured. It's time to pay the debt. And that's what he's saying to him. You fool. It is now time to pay your debt. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You can't take them with you. All this worry and all this stuff, who's going to get it? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, he's saying to him to hear, it is time to pay up. It is time for you to give an account of what I have entrusted to you. It's all coming back to me. Right? This is the end of his life. And where does he end up? He ends up in Hades. Right? Because he loved stuff and not God. Can you imagine the funeral? You may have even been to some of these. Right? Imagine yourself around and everyone saying all of these great things about this wonderful farmer. Wasn't he smart? He had this, this, these amazing fields. He cared for the crops. They grew like nobody's business. He had so much stuff. He had to tear down. He built beautiful barns. They were full to the brim. He was ready for retirement. He was set. He was ready to go. And it's gone. Isn't that a shame? He didn't get to enjoy any of it. He didn't share any of it. Where did the other rich man go? Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Not the one that Jesus raised from the dead, but the one at the gate that refused to share with Lazarus? Where did he go? He went to Hades. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16, verse 20. And there he suffered torment. See, they had everything that the world had to offer. All the riches they can count, more than they knew what to do with. But they weren't generous towards God. And they paid the price. And this is exactly what John warns us about 
as he writes in the book of Revelation concerning the end times that are in front of us. Let's read Revelation chapter 18, verses 11 to 17. It said, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained from her wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas! For the great city that was clothed in fine linen in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. What I find so interesting about this parable is Jesus starts it by telling us that he was a rich man before he ever blessed him more abundantly. He was already rich. He didn't need any of it. But he wanted it. And he kept it for himself. He wanted more and more and more. And that's the issue, is more never satisfies because money and stuff in and of itself will never, ever, ever satisfy. None of it. And this leads us, as we see in these stories, this issue of greed in our lives leads us down a path of destruction and ultimately even a spiritual death. We see in Scripture that greed trips us up. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Greed messes up our families. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Speaking of relationships, this just hit Instagram. You guys know this guy? Charles Barkley. Listen to what he wrote. Money ruins your relationships. No matter what you do for your family, it's never enough. 
All your friends think because you're rich, you should bail them out of every situation. The only time I had any peace and quiet was on a basketball court. Well, somebody needs to share the gospel with Sir Charles. Because the only peace in this life comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not a basketball court, and certainly not money. Greed leads us to spiritual poverty. Proverbs 28, 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know the poverty that will come upon him. Greed leads to conflict. Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs strife, but the one who trusts the Lord will be enriched. So the question to us today is what do we do with the greed that lives in our hearts? What do I do with the greed that lives in my heart? What do you do with the greed that lives in your heart? And I think the first aspect of that is that we have to first admit that greed is there. And that is a tough thing to admit, particularly when you look back at those harf, harsh definitions. And we have this uncanny ability to rationalize this sin in our lives because of relativism. We look at what we have or what our capacity is. We say, I'm not greedy. That over there, that's greedy. That's fool. That's this, this, is, this is Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Their basket's full. It's overflowing. They don't know what to do with all this stuff. This is a professional athlete who's making $5 million a year sitting out because he wants 10. That's greedy. I'm, I'm not greedy. I just, I just want a little bit more up to the capacity that I have. That's all. Or maybe my capacity isn't that much anymore. Maybe I'm retired. Maybe I'm a young person just getting started out. I'm not greedy. I, I, just, want, I just want a little bit more. I don't want that. And that's where we fall into the trap. We convince ourselves that I'm not greedy because I'm not them. And that's the tricky part of what the sin of greed does. That we're not happy with what we have no matter how little or how much we have. We see in 1 Timothy 6.10, look at this, it said, For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from their faith in what pierced themselves with many pangs. I even think we trick ourselves when we read this verse because we see that word love. We're thinking, I don't love money. I love the Lord. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. I don't love money. No, I may date it a little. I may cuddle with it sometimes. I may smooch it a little, but it's not love. We're not that serious. 
And it says what? The love of money. It doesn't say the love of a lot of money, does it? So let me paraphrase it for you. For the love of a nickel. A love of a dollar. See, it's the issue of not being content with what you have and trusting and placing your trust in that. You transfer your affection for that stuff and your trust soon follows. There's nothing I can say today or ever that's gonna make you identify or be convicted of the sin of greed in your life. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But you got to admit that it's there, that our basic love of money and stuff and the security that we derive from it stands in the way of our relationship with God. And it's got to start with admitting it. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Second point is the promises from God are real and the promises from money are not. This is why Jesus says, watch out. Watch out, because the promises of greed and God are the same. See, greed's sneaky. It tells you, look, if you get enough money, if you just get enough of me, you'll be happy. Doesn't it tell you that? Well, what's God tell us? If you follow me, you will have life abundantly. It's the same promise. Greed and money tells us, if you just have enough of me, I will be with you forever. Regardless of what happens to the economy, regardless of what happens to your sickness, no matter how long you live, if you just get enough, I'll be with you till the end. And what's God tell us? I will never leave you or forsake you. And he is with us through all the ups and through all the downs of our lives. So you see what we do is we take the promises that money says and we look at what we can see, which are the numbers to the left of the decimal place or the comma on our bank statement and, and the stuff that we can count, we believe those promises instead of the unchanging, never expiring promises of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to trust what God promises, not to trust the promises of money. First Timothy 6.17 says, as far as for the rich in his present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Only God's promises will endure. The promises of money will disappoint you every single time. And then lastly, to wrap this up, you have to give greed away. And I mean that literally. We give greed away every time we write a check to the church. We give greed away every time we help someone's, a friend or a family member who is in need. We give greed away every single time that we take our resources and give it to someone else and we do not derive a direct benefit from it. That's how you give greed away. Remember Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler? Right, he told Jesus, how do, I inter- how do I inherit the eternal life? Right, he's like, I kept all the commandments, right? He did everything. He was all that in a bag of chips. But Jesus said, you want to learn eternal life? You got to sell all you have and give it away to follow me. See, Jesus knew he wasn't following all the commandments because he had an issue with coveting what he had. And that was demonstrated because he turned his back on Jesus and believed in the promises of what he had because he had a lot. And he turned his back on the living God that stood in front of him. He was unwilling to give greed away. Now don't misunderstand. We don't give our way into heaven, right? That is a gift by grace from God through Jesus Christ alone. But this issue of greed stands in the way of that relationship. So the question is, are you willing to give greed away? Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. It's opposite of what we think, isn't it? Another withholds what he should give and only suffer want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered. Are you willing to give greed away? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth. And Father, it's only you that can expose this sneaky sin in our lives. And Father, I pray that each one of us comes before you and you shine a light in those areas where it's entwined itself. And you give us the courage to give greed away. Thank you for your son Jesus. In his name that we pray. Amen.